Now we're protecting the doctors. Now we are passing bills that say that uh, medical malpractice insurance carriers cannot raise rates for doctors who do gender affirmative care. And so what, why would a doctor start stop doing this if they're making money off of this? Because even if they get sued, their rates don't go up and their insurance will cover it. Why stop, to, why stop harming these kids? That's what our state is doing. It, everything is pushing towards let's change all the girls into boys and let's change all the boys into girls. Let's medicalize every kid that we can possibly do. And, and then we'll safeguard the doctors. And in the end, in the end, when this all blows up, because it's going to blow up and it's going to blow up. Yeah, I mean, the, the parents are, are angry here in California. We've got the Muslims fighting. We've got the Hispanics are coming. The Chinese are are getting are getting mad. Like all the the typical Democrats who who they need their votes. They've had enough. They are now waking up. But what's going to happen is the doctors are going to say, "Well, you made us do it." Hi, everybody. Welcome to the audio version of Broadview. I'm Lisa Sellen Davis. And uh, remember when I complained last week about gender fatigue and a bunch of you wrote to me and said, tired or not, gender identity has been enshrined into law while a lot of liberals weren't paying close attention, replacing sex or added as a facet of sex, a protected class. So we can't fall asleep now. The mainstream media dedicates a lot of real estate to covering anti-trans laws quote-unquote, but very little on blue state laws written under the guise of protecting trans kids, the sanctuary state laws, and other laws that deal with kids' ability to access medical and psychological interventions and their relationships with their parents. What these laws actually do, they indemnify doctors, they distort research, and they allow kids, especially runaways or kids whose parents are having a custody dispute, kids who often have lots of mental health issues, they allow them to access gender, medical, or psychological interventions, sometimes without parental knowledge or support. Yes, it sounds like right-wing conspiracy theory. It's actually not. I first learned about these laws from Aaron Friday, Democrat of 37 years, Californian lawyer, and mom to a desisted ROGD daughter. She's been dedicating her time and attention to tracking and even testifying against laws there in California. These are laws that are copied and pasted in other blue states. If you're listening to me, you probably already know my take on this, but here it is again. This isn't or shouldn't be a left-right issue. The dissent, the concern is about science, it's about truth, it's about doing what's best for children, but in order to do that, we have to understand the blue state laws being passed. So thanks for listening. Erin Friday, welcome to Broadview. Thank you. Nice to see you again. Thank you. And can we start by you just recapping how it is you came to be involved in the issue of children with gender stuff, as I'm calling it today? <laughs> yeah, gender distress, 
gender confusion. Uh, yeah, I got involved because uh, my my daughter uh, came out as uh, a transgender boy when she was uh, just about to start ninth grade, and she had gone through the earlier LGB alphabet, um, which alarmed me, but didn't alarm me because I'm here in you know outside of San Francisco. Um, not a homophobic bone in my body, voted for same-sex marriage. So if my daughter turned out to be lesbian, I don't care. Um, but when she was 11 and talking about being pansexual, that was a, of course, a um, alarm bells went off because what 11-year-old should be talking about being sexually attracted to anyone? Uh, those are words that she should not know. And of course, the other part of history, I found out the schools were indoctrinating her and uh, she was learning this in her sex ed class, um, which was a rude awakening. Uh, again, as liberal as I am, that was that was a, a line that should never have been crossed. And that's where the problem lies. Is uh, they've crossed too many lines. And that's why Democrats like me were, were, were upset and parents like me are getting louder and louder. So how did you move from that experience to really focusing on what's happening with laws about how to treat kids identifying as trans or kids seeking medical interventions in the name of gender? Because I, well, I looked at all of this very practically and I said, well, of course schools aren't allowed to change the name of my daughter. I'll just pick up the phone and call them and say, what are you doing? wait, don't do that. That's not okay. I'm against that. Uh, and then they told me, well, that's the law. That's the law. We have to do that. Really? So I looked at the law, and of course, they were wrong. But it got me just paging through the education code and really feeling like an absolute moron because these bills have been being passed for for years without notice, without anybody uh, fighting against these bills. And, you know, once I started digging and looking at all the bills, I mean, this has been going on since 2010, maybe even earlier, where parents have been cut out of their children's lives. Um, it opened up a whole new world for me as far as I voted for these people. <laughs> I voted for them. I trusted them. And I felt really um, stupid. My whole world went upside down. Mm. I'm a Democrat of 37 years. I voted always the Democratic ticket. And, um, and then I realized they've been just incrementally taking away parental rights, little bites, little bites, little bites. And, you know, and this year it seems like the crescendo has happened and, the number of bills that are being passed in California, you know, first I thought there were four and then I got up to the, the dirty dozen and now I'm up to 25, uh, all really geared to disrupting the family and forcing uh, transgender ideology in every institution uh, every business in every possible 
place, family law. Um, I mean, I'm looking at a bill right now that is, is talking about, it's called GoBiz. This is another one I just discovered as I was looking at another bill, and it's going to you know, raise money, use, use California funds to make national campaigns against uh, anything that is discriminatory against LGBTQ. These are our tax dollars being used to, again, promote transgenderism. And I leave the L and the G and the B off um, because, again, I don't have a problem with anybody being being gay or bisexual. I don't really care what anybody does in their bedroom. But when you start messing with kids, now you've angered me. Now I'm involved. I I have 17 questions for you. I'm, I'm first. I'm first. I'm thinking about what you said about disrupting the family and about you know laws that raise money for um, to prevent discrimination against LGBTQ, but mostly TQ right now. Um, and, and what one of the things that I think is so difficult difficult about the subject, especially for those of us who are liberals is, uh, is that some of the some of the arguments against um, some of the right wing talking points about the left start to feel like they're true, like the left wants to destroy the nuclear family, right? And then you think, oh, like that was that's been said for years, but it was it seemed like bullshit, and now it seems like, oh gosh, we're there that does. Whatever the intention, that has been happening. Families have been really impacted in a negative way, and these laws and policies have facilitated that. But it also makes me so sad that that people like us are now feeling like, you know, raising funds to fight discrimination is a bad thing because we know that's not what it's actually doing. And so I... I it makes me want to know, like, A, well, it makes me want to know who's behind the laws and what do they want. Like, these laws that you've been looking at in California, which we can spend a minute talking about, we know who's, we know the politicians who are pushing them, but somebody is coming and sitting with them. Like, it does, it, it's got to give them more than just a political leg up. Right. I mean, what? Well, I think like with any everything gender, it's always layers of issues. Right. Um, There are true believers. There are and, and they tend to be more of the gay men are true believers that somebody is born in the wrong body. Uh, and somebody is transgender from birth as opposed to someone transitions because it's an activity it's an active word transgender means you're changing uh so there a lot of the i wouldn't say the the true believers tend to be more of the gay men and and i you know this is just a supposition but i wonder if one of the reasons why they don't believe that is because they were so bullied when they were kids and they want to protect these kids from being bullying because they're just going back to when they were kids and gay men, you know, they take the brunt of it. Uh, tom tomboys 
girls who are who are lesbian or you know into boy stuff they're actually the cool girl when they're growing up uh but boys who are effeminate they get teased relentlessly so there's a there's a true believer component to it i don't believe that everyone who is pro transitioning kids are nefarious um i do believe that there there are the henchmen and they are doing this for depraved reasons i do believe that you know for example scott weiner he is the puppeteer he is not the puppet he knows exactly what he's doing he's hand in hand with the other with the groups that are making money off of this or doing this for depraved reasons then there you know he puts up spokespeople he's very sly he'll pick um you know a less informed less intelligent uh assembly member to co-sponsor a bill and it's very clear that they don't actually know what they're doing because they can't answer questions and they run uh from confrontation on this and he's just pushing them forward twisting them you take this one his handiwork is 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 everywhere on this equity california is backing him um there's a lot of money to be made and i haven't quite put together all the pieces but i'm pretty darn close to where the money the money piece falls in, in into play with all of these bills and maybe talking about a couple of the bills maybe yeah. you can help me put the puzzle together we we can yeah. kind of and I noticed that, you know, Equity Florida, Equi all of these groups that are Equity whatever state name seem to be behind a lot of stuff. So some of us should look into that. But for, for those who don't know, can you explain who's, who Scott Weiner is? And then can you pick a couple of bills that are happening that he's promoting um, and explain to us what they, both what they say and and how they may be interpreted, why why they alarm you. Okay, so Scott so Scott Weiner is a senator. He is a gay man. Uh, I'm not revealing anything that's, you know, he doesn't reveal all the time. Um, he is, uh, to me, he's a hedonist, meaning he puts pleasure be, before anything. Um, he doesn't have children. Uh, he gets a lot of money through from donations with uh, real estate and building contractors. So he's powerful. He's also a lawyer. And he is a smart man. He is a very smart man. And he's likable. Uh, you know, the Republicans say, oh, he's such a nice guy. Uh, they get tricked by him. Like, to me... He's just so slick. You know, they laugh with him, but they don't understand. Like, to me, that man has an evil, evilness to him. And before we were recording, the first time he stood near me, I had a visceral reaction to him of, you know, we women get these reactions like where we think our kids are in danger or, or are, we are in danger. He stood over me and my body just tensed. I couldn't even tolerate 
the rest of the hearing, I, I said my testimony and I had to leave because I felt so ill. Um, because I do believe he's in this for to harm women. He is the man who put men into women's prisons. Um, he is the man who passed a bill that requires, that doesn't require uh, a pedophile to be um, placed on the sex registry as long as that pedophile is within 10 years of that child's age. Mm. I mean, this is evil stuff. Um, he has removed uh, the ability, he, he repealed the law that um, uh, that dealt with, um, oh, what is it, when you're standing on the sidewalk, why am I forgetting the word? Loitering. Yeah. And uh, that, was a, that was a law that the police used to find kids that were being trafficked, because that would be their probable cause to pull a kid off the street and bring them in and find out actually how old they are. He repealed that law this year. So he's hurting children left and right. This is, this is that man. So I can't think anything otherwise, other than this man is evil. He, right before um, California had, they were start, California was starting to have a monkeypox outbreak. And there is a sex party that goes on called Door Alley. And he did not want to shut down Door Alley, even though he knew that there was a monkeypox outbreak occurring. Um, he posted on Twitter ways to still go to the party, even if you think you have monkeypox. Mm. Slap on a, you know, he quote, he, he attached you know, a how-to, and it was, you know, basically slap on a Band-Aid over your pustule. But don't miss the party. <laughs> and then when the party happened, lo and behold, San Francisco had a huge outbreak of monkeypox, and then he asked the governor to ask for a state of emergency, which, of mm -hmm. course, happened. And so taxpayers paid for their sex party. This is the same man who voted to shut down all of our schools during COVID, even knowing that kids, especially kids with special needs, were going to be harmed. So where is his, where does his belief system, his belief system is all about sex and money at the expense of women and children. Hmm. So let's go deep on, on, on some of the laws, especially you, you've been looking especially at two, I think in the last, couple of weeks right there's is there one about um sorry for i really should have written this down first um that's all right i know which ones you're talking about because they yeah, are the like yeah. the kids making their own decisions about mental health i think from age 12 is that one of them yes so there's a bill it's it's ab665 i have dubbed it the state you know sanctioned uh kidnapping bill, we can call it whatever. Um, but what this bill does is, is it allows a 12-year-old on their own accord to opt to go to a residential shelter. 
And the law, as was written previously, was that if a child was going to be sent, the difference between opt and sent, we'll talk about that, would be sent to a residential shelter for guardrails were in place. The child either needed to be in danger of child abuse, incest, self-harm, or harm to others. So there were four, one of four things needed to be occurring in this child's life before a child would be sent to a residential shelter. And I'm all for that, right? We want to, we want to make sure that kids are not going home to a dangerous situation. This bill takes away those requirements. So now a 12 year old, and that's sixth grade, that's sixth, seventh grade, can opt themselves into a residential facility without any claim of abuse. So when does that happen? I mean, that seems like, oh, that, that would never happen. It's so obscure. You know, is a kid just going to walk into a residential facility? No, they're not. But the, where it happens is, is that child walks into the school counselor's office and says, I think of trans. Or they can do even something lighter than that. My mom and dad stink. They took away my phone. I'm so angry with them. I should have a phone and they've got their young school counselor who's, you know, all of 22, 23. Yeah, that is child abuse. Well, do you feel like you want to stay at a residential shelter tonight so you can be on your phone all night? And the kid says, sure, I do. I'll go to that residential shelter. And off they go. And all that's required of that residential shelter is to make best efforts to notify mom and dad. Best efforts. So that kid may not come home from school that day, and those parents will be putting up posters around that neighborhood saying, where's my child? So that's the scenario. But really the scenario, because all of this stuff is designed for LGBTQ, and it even says it in the intent of the bill, is that the kid walks in and says, I'm trans. My parents aren't going to dig this. Mm -hmm. um, and the counselor will say, well, why don't we send you to this LGBTQ housing facility? Once that child goes to that facility, how does mom and dad get that child back? I don't know. The bill doesn't say. Um, but I do know that once a 12-year-old, 13-year-old, 14-year-old, minor, runs away from home, they, they become a runaway. That's going to be the moniker on them. Mom and dad are going to have an indelible mark why would your child run away if you're good parents? They wouldn't run away. So now mom and dad have a mark on them as being potentially abusive. Child goes to the residential facility, which is unlocked here in California. Kids can come and go as they please. That's where the drug traffickers are. That's where the sex traffickers, they hang around these buildings. Mom and dad then have to fight to get their child back. You have a CPS, Child Protective Services, File is going to be open on mom and dad. Mom and dad, it's going to be revealed that they, you know, God forbid, might be Christians and don't believe in gender ideology and won't call their daughter a male name. So maybe that child gets taken from them. And now here's where money comes in. Let's talk money here. What, yeah. does, this cost? what does this cost mom and dad? It's going to cost mom and dad money to fight to get their kids back. 
and um, they may have to take parenting classes. So this is money that's going to go into the coffers. And the residential facilities, there's not going to be enough of them. We're going to start building them. Remember I told you Scott Wiener is tied with the building industry? They're going to have to build these buildings. They're going to have to uh, get employees. Well, where are these employees coming from? They're going to come from gender studies. You know, there's, there's graduates with gender studies who have no degree, you know, can't, can't do anything with their degrees. So this is the way to feed the transgender movement is because these people are now going to be paid to take in these kids. And once a kid is 12 and they're now in foster care, they're going to be assigned a guardian ad litem or a minor's counsel. More money. More money exchanging hands here. These guardian ad litems can actually control the custody of the child. They can change the child's name if they want. That's another bill that's passing this year. They are empowered with changing the child's name and, and sex marker. That's A, B, right. So the, so the, the kind of court appointed or state appointed guardian, there's another bill. What's this bill that they, that they, AB 223, AB 223 says, so, so, so AB 665 says that children with, without cause can, can request to go to a, a state facility. They don't need. Okay. And then, and then this other bill says that the that the resultant um, uh, court appointed or state appointed guardian can facilitate the changing of name and sex marker on legal doc documents without parental consent or or knowledge. Well, or that that bill, I'll I'll get into that because it's a little okay. more complicated than that. So you you are right. Child can opt in to the residential facility without any claim of abuse by parents, without provocation. Once, and it's not necessarily a government facility. Uh -huh. It can be a community facility. Uh, it can be a community-run facility. It could be an emergency facility. So now you're understanding kind of where these third parties come in because they're going to be making money off of these kids that are coming in. They, they need the kids to... to to facilitate their funding. You want, they're, they're actually wanting more kids to move into residential facility or become wards of the state. <laughs> so that's the one bill. Then let's move on to the other really bad bill. And you'll see how the puzzle comes together. And who made the puzzle? Scott Wiener made the puzzle. So he put as a co-author on AB 665 an assemblywoman who doesn't get it, who is up there testifying and saying, oh, this bill is just so that we get outpatient mental health for kids on Medi-Cal. Complete red herring. It's just not true. It's just not true. But I won't go into the legalese on that. Um, so then we have the second bill, and this is AB 957. And this bill was, again, Scott Wiener is the co-author, but the main author is a, an assemblywoman, Lori Wilson, who says that she is a Christian and admits that she has transitioned her daughter. And she put up this bill that, were, that is a terribly frightening bill. It's, 
even more frightening than the last one I talked about. This bill says that it is that a judge in a custody dispute must determine that it is in the best interest of the child's health, safety, and welfare to affirm the child's gender identity. That is a massive bill. It is massive because the overarching decision a judge needs to make in a custody agreement or in a custody decision, the overarching, the paramount, the most important is what is in the health, welfare, and safety of the child. So that is first and foremost. And the parent who is willing to affirm the child's gender identity. And we don't know what that means. What gender identity? Asexual, eunuch, cat gender, autism gender. There's an infinite number of genders. Can it be absurd? Of course it can. Bill doesn't say that. The age of the child, there's no requirement that the child be, you know, kind of a more mature child, a three-year-old. You have to affirm that if you want to keep custody of your child. There's no requirement for persistence. There's no requirement for a, a determination of whether that child has experienced trauma, and that's why they are taking on a gender identity that doesn't match their sex. There's no requirement that the child, um, that their comorbid mental health issues be explored. It is a fact. It is now a fact. The judge has no discretion. It is a fact. It is in the best interest of the child's health, welfare, and safety to affirm their gender identity. That's one of the things that confuses me is wouldn't judges be pissed that their autonomy is revoked by the state? I mean, they that's their job to figure yeah. out. Not really. Maybe in some conservative parts of California and our conservative is you know, still conservative light. Um, but no, these, this is a long time coming. Again, when I'm talking about 10 years, this has been going on. This has been in the making because the trans radical activists, HRC, ACLU, um, ASEP or uh, the lesbian law group, they have been training judges, family court judges to be already believing that Kids will commit suicide if you don't affirm them. So the judge, the family court judges are already tainted in the state of California and, and probably in most states. And they did this again so slick. Nobody's paying attention. They got to the family courts. Um, and so these judges really believe that parents are, uh, you know, not fit if they won't affirm their child's gender identity. I run a um, I run the Northern California Parents of ROGD group, and I'm also a co-lead of our duty. We deal with hundreds of parents in California. Any parent who is in a custody battle with their spouse or ex-spouse or boyfriend, and one wants to affirm and the other doesn't, a hundred percent of the time, the parent who is willing to affirm the gender identity gets custody of the child. I have not heard of 
one parent getting custody. So this has already been happening, and now they're codifying. So why are they codifying? Because it's already been happening. Why are they making it the law? Because here's the trick. Here's the fun part. Terrifying part. Those words, health, welfare, and safety, those are magical words. Those are terms of art that you will find in dependency statutes. You will find them in abuse statutes, neglect statutes. So it's one tiny little increment away from finding any parent who does not affirm their child's gender identity, regardless of how absurd that gender identity is, regardless of the age of the child, that that parent is abusive. That's where they're going. Scott Weiner is doing this through the back door because he can't do it through the front door because he spoke too many times against the Texas law saying, oh, it's so horrible that they are penalizing parents who are transitioning their kids. What horror. To do that. Well, he's doing the same thing, but doing it in the opposite manner. And he's doing it through his bill, AB 957. I know this because I track this man. I know him. I know his mind. This is what he's doing. And it's, like I said, those words are special. Mm -hmm. Those words are special. So this is a... This is the, a terrifying bill for every parent in California. And, and parents in other states should be on the lookout for this same bill. Because whatever we do here, it's coming your way, whether you're in a red state or a blue state. And this is, you know, we talked about the, the destruction of parent yeah. families. This is it. And this brings up, going back to my point about, um, you know, every paranoid thing you could say that was once hyperbolic is now happening. And so I remember when I first started hearing about parental rights and I, maybe a year and a half ago, I talked to Bernadette Broyles, who's handling a lot of different uh, detransition lawsuits and the Jamie Reed whistleblower law, you know, just she's representing a lot of uh, objectors. And I thought, oh, that's very interesting. I didn't know about parental rights. And I didn't know that, it, you know, that we have a constitutional right to sort of direct the care and upbringing of our children. And when I mentioned that to uh, a poli sci professor, he said, that's just a right wing talking point. That's just a way for the right wing to impugn the left. And I thought, well, maybe that was true once upon a time. But now I feel, um, you know, I, I, I live in New York and we have our versions of, of uh, these laws and certainly the school policies. And I feel kind of nervous all the time, even though I haven't, I haven't experienced what you and so many thousands of other parents have, have gone through, but I could at any at any time. And most people, when I say, you know, people say, why are your kids in this particular school? I said, because the principal gets me and he's not going to let a teacher call CPS on me because of my belief. 
even though I think plenty of other parents in, in the <laughs> school would. So I, um, j- just because I'm, you know, a, a left-wing heretic. So I've, I've had trouble convincing anyone that it's a real problem. And some of it is because they have been told that concerns about parental rights are a right-wing issue. But that the, it really doesn't, so many people have had CPS called on them and I've reported, not only have I reported on it, but I've really tried to get other people in mainstream media when they're, when they're doing the story about Texas and somebody called CPS on a, on an affirming parent, I, I say, you've got to write about the other side, you know, and, and when you write about the, the bans on youth, you know, gender affirming care, you've got to write about the sanctuary state laws, like it's crazy to assume one side is good and one side is bad. And the sanctuary state laws in particular that I'm trying to understand, we we have our own version in New York. I was assured by the uh, a staffer in the office uh, of the sponsoring state senator that they weren't copying California and they'd been working on this already um, and that it's not. Um, they didn't say this, but I showed it to some lawyers and they said it's not it's not as scary as the California bill. But again, the, the sanctuary state law in California seems to be both about usurping parental rights. And I think I think they're about indemnifying doctors. I mean, so many of these laws are about you can't oh. be. You 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 perform a mastectomy on, on a 13 year old and we don't know how many there have been, but there are. Oh, let's there get are, there. Let's, there, are, let's, there are some. I don't know how many depressed 13 year olds need to get mastectomies before we consider it a problem, but but it indemnifies the doctors. Oh, let's get there. So, so I want to hear about. You know, you said these laws they originate in California and they spread to the to the rest of the country. Explain the horror of of that of that. <laughs> okay, yeah, let me words sorry, in your mouth, is, but I know how you feel about it. Yeah, so this people is people who don't get it and who think a sanctuary state law sounds nice. Yeah, okay, so well, let's let's back up because I I have to talk about a couple things. Well, you know, CPS was called on me, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that was over a name and a pronoun, and we we have countless stories of parents actually losing custody of their kids over a name and a pronoun. Uh, but the sanctuary. I mean, just stay there for a minute. I mean, I assume that people who are going to listen to this already know that, but I. Yeah, let's, let's, let's talk about it. I just, I, I, my, my, I've reported on it. I've talked to so many people. I, it's still, I still feel like crying. And of course I feel like crying for other people who get CPS called on them for no reason too. But I, this is so ridiculous. And I know that it is hard to recover as a family from it. I mean, will you talk about what that experience was like and and how and what you've learned from these other families who've had CPS called on them for not wanting to use a child's name and pronoun? Like, let's make sure people understand this. Yes. So I was so naive. I was a believer in public school teachers being good and and the medical community being helpful. And, um, you know, when I called the school, who had never met my daughter, 
never stepped foot in there because of COVID. And I said, why are you calling her by a male name? And they did the whole safe space, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, that's silly. <laughs> My daughter's right down the hall from me. Safe from whom? Safe from me? I guess I'm unsafe. I mean, I kind of went, you know, sarcastic and angry. Like, how dare you? And um, and then the police showed up. And then CPS showed up. And I thought, wow. And I still actually, like, a social worker showed up. And I thought, oh, you're you're going to understand. You're going to get this. My my daughter's just, you know, depressed because of COVID and, and confused because she spent too much time online. I actually thought they were there to help me. Like, how naive is that? How, how stupid of me. Um, and I guess I, you know, I told her immediately I'm a lawyer. I did throw down the lawyer card um, and they didn't come back. So whatever I said worked. Um, but I know parent, parents who have, you know, they, they, they wore their LGBTQ shirts. You know, they, they, they put on a show uh, mm -hmm. be before they were, you know, during their investigations. Um, you know, to plug the movie a little bit, but the Epic Times movie, I don't know if you had a chance to watch it or not, but that tells the story the first time that I heard of a parent losing custody of their child. Yeah. Uh, it's called Gender Transformation, and it's the story of Abigail Martinez, who, you know, English is a second language, who, you know, her daughter was used as a showpiece. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, was taken from her at the age of 16 under a claim of emotional abuse. First, there was a claim of physical ab abuse, and that was dropped very quickly because there was no evidence of that. But then there was the claim of emotional abuse, and the emotional abuse was based on the fact that mom would not call her daughter by a male name or use male pronouns. And when she, when her, when uh, Abigail learned that she was going to lose custody of her child. She said, I'll do it. I'll do it. Yeah. I'll find her clothes. I'll call her a male name. It wasn't enough. They took that child from her and um, the judge signed the order to start testosterone uh, for this very depressed young girl um, who then ended up taking her life. And the mom was absolved of all claims of abuse, but it was three years later. And mom jumped through hoops. And this is, again, the money thing where I'm starting to put the, you know, the money piece together. Because mom spent all this money taking uh, parenting classes that she didn't need. She had three other children. Yeah. Who were not taken away. Who were not taken away. Right. So mom was obviously a safe mom. Uh, but this was a way to, it was a money grab. And then, and then the LGBTQ community group took this young girl around and used her to raise money. Here's the other money piece. Oh, look at this poor trans kid who got thrown out of her house and is in foster care because her parents are bigots. And they they used her to raise money. Just, it's absolutely disgusting. Um, yeah. So CPS is real. It's, CPS shows up. I, I, I don't like to push these stories too much because I really want parents to feel confident to hold the line because you have to. If mm. the parents 
don't hold the line with their kids, it's game over. So you have to straddle um, what you're going to do to avoid uh, mm. CPS from coming coming to your home. But um, anyway, because you can't be handcuffed out of fear um, and go along with the whole transgender ideology for fear that you're going to lose custody of your kid because you're going to lose your kid anyway um, because the gender the, the gender identity is going to be concretized over a long period of time. So there's there's strategies that people can employ um, to make sure CPS doesn't come to their home and what to do when CPS does come to their home. Never let them in the door. Never let them in the door. Lawyer up. Immediately lawyer up. Um, do not have that conversation with them and pull your kid from the public school immediately. Um, so, yeah, I forget where we were. We were talking. We were talking about the top sanctuary state law, but I, I'm very haunted by Ab Abigail Martinez's story. And I, I get your point. Like, we don't want to, you know, raise awareness about that to scare people away from holding the line with their kids. But we also want people to know how state power is being used and abused in service of, of an ideology and not in service of health, safety, and welfare of children and their families. Right, because it's paramount. We just talked about the bill that makes it paramount, that gender uh, affirming a gender identity is paramount. And that is what these social workers in CPS are being taught. That's what they're being taught. Um, so the sanctuary state, so this, I know we, we had a nice conversation about SB 107 last year. Yeah. But the scary part about the sanctuary state is that it entices youth to run away to these states that have sanctuary. Uh, so if a child lives in, uh, Minnesota, well, Minnesota now has one. So Kansas and runs away to California and they're 16, or they get their ticket paid for. Because this is also happening. These kids are, these trans radical activists are buying one-way tickets for kids to get to different states. And once they land here, then the California courts take jurisdiction over that child. That means that the California courts decide whether it's safe or not for the child to go back to Kansas. And again, the family courts are tainted and they're being taught that those Kansas parents, those right-wing Kansas parents are horrible parents and that 16-year-old is better off in California so that she can get her gender affirmative care treatments. Um, and, you know, and they also know that maybe that Kansas family, they don't have the money to come to California and hire an attorney and fight. So that child just gets lost. The parents have to just hope for the best because they don't have the means to find that child. Um, and remember, we talked about the name change and all of that good stuff. Yeah. yeah so when that 16-year-old gets jurisdiction in California uh, and that judge assigns a guardian ad litem, that guardian can change that child's name and sex marker. And mom and dad are still in Kansas. 
how do they get notification of that? Does their child just disappear? Their child just disappears. Poof. Gone. No way to find that child. Who does that help? Well, it fills our foster care system, right? And it helps traffickers. So when we get dark, and I never wanted to believe this. I feel like I, you know, have tin hats on. I was like you. I don't, I don't want to believe that all this stuff was, is designed to harm children. It's all designed to harm children. It's all designed to blow up families. The, the right-wingers were right. That this agenda is to disrupt families, loving families. And we see this. Uh, Plume is an online uh, seller of hormones. And if you go on their site, you can see how easy it is for a kid to trick Plume into sending them, uh, you know, hormones that they're only supposed to be selling to 18-year-olds uh, because it comes in a black box. Your credit card doesn't have to match your ID. I mean, it's so easy. I mean, it's just like ABC. So easy if a kid wants to um, uh, trick Plume into sending them their drugs. It's designed. It's designed to help kids do that. But not only that, that website, I signed up as a 16-year-old. I said I was 16 when I signed up. I wanted to see how easy it would be for me to get testosterone. I asked a whole bunch of questions, like trying to catfish them. How can I get this? Can I do this? They know I'm 16. They kept me on their mailing list, and they sent an email. It went out to everyone and said, things we'd like you, you know, good news or things you'd like. Well, here's what it said. If you run away to New York City, you can get testosterone. That website said that. That's an enticement for kids to Wait, run what, away. What, what are the actual words, though? Oh, well, I mean, because, because I feel like this is an issue with the laws in general. Because whenever I, I call up somebody in, you know, in a political office or their staffers and I say, I'm writing about this bill. Here's what I've heard about it. And they say, well, that's not what it says. <laughs> but there's the issue of what it says versus how it can be interpreted, right? I mean, it doesn't say in the bill, runaways can, you know, will facilitate runaways to uh, to transition and not tell your parents. It says, we, we, will, take, we will take jurisdiction. But normally when a kid runs away, there's a uh, juvenile compact. 49 states followed it. I think you wrote on this. Um, but normally, if a kid runs away and they're out of state, the Kansas kid runs to California, normally what California judges will say is like, uh-uh-uh, you go back to, you got to go back to Kansas. The Kansas courts will deal with you. We don't have any relationship with you. We don't know you. You're a stranger to our state. And this is a way to safeguard kids. Right. We're going to send you back. You got to go back and make it easy for mom and dad to figure out what happened. The judges to figure out your doctors are there. Your teachers are there. Whatever. California said, no, we're going to keep you. We're going to keep you as long as you're here for gender affirmative care. We'll 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 decide what happens to you. Because we're a transactuary state. 
We want everyone, every kid to be able to transition. Oh, and by the way, if you go into foster care here in California, we'll pay for it all. You, you will have autonomy. So at 16, you can start testosterone when normally you have to have parental consent here in California. But we're going to let you bypass that. So it's enticing. So if there's an 18 year, 18 age limit in another state, those kids are going to run here if they want to get it sooner because they can. So here, I, I pulled up the plume art thing. I'm going to read it to you. Okay. And here's the title. I don't know if you can see it. Stuff we think you'll like. I don't know. Can you see that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Stuff we think you'll like. Trans youth in New York make their own health care decisions. Mm. A new public health law amended allows runaways or homeless youth under the age of 18 in New York to consent to medical services, including gender affirmative, uh, affirming health care. That's an enticement. Yeah. That's an enticement for kids to run away to New York. Do we want kids running away to New York? What happens to kids when they run away to New York? Where do, whose arms do they run into? Oh, you're saying generally sex traffickers and, yeah. I mean, kids are... Kids aren't that, you know, they're not able to think long-term. Yeah. I'm going to run away to New York and I'm going to find an apartment. I'm going to get a job at Starbucks and everything. And I'm going to be able to pay for stuff. No, they're not. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it makes me think about, and this is another argument for waiting. There was a, I, I can't remember this. I was listening. I was in the car, which is very rare for me as a New Yorker. And I was listening to the hidden brain, which is also rare for me. And it was a woman who studied happiness and aging and who had all the had found that um, that that generally older people are happier than younger people and, and much happier than we think they are. And she talked about how we we think that young people are happier because they think about the future and they have their lives ahead of them. But she found that actually they the younger they were, the less they thought about it, the less they could even conceptualize the future. They couldn't think of themselves as old. And and whereas the old people could, could, they could think like, here's so much time I think I have, and here's what I want to do with that time, and here's all the bullshit I can cut out because I'm old. And maybe this is why you're supposed to get happier women in their 50s. I'm waiting for it. I, I think it's happening to me um, where you, you know, you you don't give a fuck as they say, in a, but in a good way. Um, and you're able to prioritize in that young people just, they just cannot imagine themselves as older, which is part of why they make bad decisions and why, in fact, like we need kids to be able to make bad decisions and fail and learn. But those decisions, it's a very different from like, I took a wrong turn when I was walking home without using my phone, you know, or like, I cheated on a math test and I learned, I got an F and I learned versus I took cross-sex hormones. And, you know, so I, I, it's like the whole thing is so anathema to how children actually work that. I mean, there's study after study. This is what galls me. There's study after study. Actuaries know this. When the brain matures, when they are able to think of long-term consequences, this is why my sons 
automobile insurance is so expensive because he's 18 <laughs> and he's a knucklehead. They know he's going to speed and get tickets. And we know this. I mean, this is this. And suddenly we have forgotten this when it when it relates to gender, that kids get this. I mean, I, I, look at Chloe Cole. And people give her give her grief. She was 15 and she removed her breath. Well, and she then she well right, right, right. right. <laughs> but but she the doctors removed her breath. And then there was became a realization like, hey, I'm not going to be able to breastfeed. And people think, well, what was wrong with you? Of course, you knew that was going you weren't going to be able to. But she's 15. She's not thinking about that. At 15, if someone said I was going to breastfeed babies, I would have been like, no, I'm not. That's disgusting. Yeah, I'm never, never going to do that because right. you're not thinking that way. We, we Like there's study after study on this about maturation of the brain. And I keep looking for the study that says, well, kids mature at age 23, 25, except as to gender. They mature at three. They mature at five. There's just not. It's making me think again about, you know, I, it's it's hard not to focus on intentions, even though there, it's difficult to answer the question of why. And, and you had brought up before how many gay men are involved in transitioning children. And I was struck, someone said that to me very early on in my journey, like five, six years ago. Again, like so many things, something I just tucked away. And, and I've gone back to that a lot. And, um, you know, relatively feminine gay men without children for the most part and very involved in affirmation and in asking in, in asking why, because I have to, because it's my favorite question. You know, I I've thought a lot about um how much like kind of upper middle class, no plow parents, part of the intention might be to protect kids from the pain that they felt. As you brought up, these kids were probably bullied. Um, they may have had fantasies of escaping into into girlhood, um, which they would have considered um, protective, although, you know, these are men who get to still have their penises and, and their bodies functioning and they get to have sex with other men. Um, but I was listening to James Cantor on um, Gender Wider Lens in Supermarket this afternoon, and he was talking about kind of typical male sexuality versus typical female sexuality. And I, I think there's more overlap there than than sexologists tend to think or just as a free to be you and me kind of feminist, I I'm not as into men are just like this and women are just like this, especially having studied how much that has changed generationally for my, for my tomboy book, but of, of what we think is normal for men and women or boys and girls. But, but he was saying, you know, that, that for, for men, especially for gay men, like they're aware of their difference very early and it's, and the attraction is, somewhat un uncomplicated, right? Like, you know, women are not going to the park and just going in the bushes and, and going to the glory hole in the gas station bathroom. As far, maybe some, but um, no one I know. And it doesn't mean we're not like full of lust, 
But in, in gen, sometimes, I mean, just as an aside, I remember when Friday Night Lights came out and all every woman I know was was talking about throwing the Riggins character against the wall. Like it was like unbridled lust all of a sudden from from all, all of these women. But that's somewhat unusual. There tends to be more of a uh, a deeper attraction besides just lust and um, or whatever you want to call it. So I was thinking, sorry, this is very convoluted, but I was thinking that some of what's motivating these men is that they knew. They do feel they were born that way, and they did know themselves early, and they didn't change. And so they are mapping that experience onto all of these other young people as if everybody has that experience. But most of us are just going to spend, apparently, for me, the first 50 years of life totally confused, you know, and and changing a lot. And if you're if you're a, a woman, once you hit perimenopause, you're going to go through 40,000 different kinds of gender experiences and your body's going to change in all these ways. And they're not accounting for that. They're they're thinking about how it was for them mapping that experience onto young people with perhaps some kind of savior complex? Yeah, I think there's I think there's that again, protecting, protecting from the bullying that they got. And I think they're they're also rewriting some of their history. Uh because what I see as the new norm, like look, now there's twenty percent of kids saying they're LGBTQ. Like that's these numbers don't match up. And I, I tell this story and maybe it's when I was in seventh grade, you know, I was a total tomboy, by the way. Everybody thought I was a boy until ninth grade. I mean, I showed pictures of myself to my daughter to show her, like, that's when I was a boy. Like, yeah. short hair, tough skins, you know, flannel shirts, always dirty. Um, anyway, but when I was in seventh grade, there was a girl in my school who was, she was just beautiful. She was awesome in every single way. She was a great basketball player, and I played basketball. I wanted to be her. She was so cool. If she said hi to me, my stomach fluttered. Mm -hmm. Did I want to bed her? No. I didn't even know what that meant. But if somebody gave me different language and told me that because I got nervous every time she spoke to me, and I, you know, if she waved to me, it made my day, that that means I'm a lesbian, I would have believed them. No, it just meant that I wanted to be her. I admired her. We're giving these kids language. Um, you know, like you, you may have seen this with your kids. Like my son only wanted to hang out with boys. If he was given language that says, well, that means you're, you're gay, he would have been like, okay, I'm gay. Like, you know, it's, we, we are now labeling all this stuff at earlier and earlier ages and not letting kids kind of go through the exploratory time period of trying out new things. And I think a lot of these gay men go back in time and said, oh, I always knew I was gay. Did you? In third grade, you were thinking about having sex? Come on. You might have thought boys were cooler than girls, but most third grade boys actually think boys are cooler than girls then. Or, you know, they might want to always be with Tommy. But again, it's not sexual attraction. You don't get sexual attraction until later in life. So I think they're making that they're conflating, not making it up, but they're conflating that they knew, they knew, they knew. What did you know? 
Right, right. I mean, they're the, the, that's why retrospective accounts are, are difficult to rely on, and, and, and that's why a lot of this evidence that people say shows that, you know, people, that people who didn't get medical interventions are worse off now with, if they wanted them and didn't get them, and they're all, you know, that's what all the kind of, like, suicide rhetoric is based on, and it, A, it's retrospective, and B, they didn't use to give hormones to people who were having mental health problems. So they, it, they probably didn't, it's not that not getting the drugs made them worse. It's that they weren't well enough to get the drugs. Well, and then there's also like, if you talk to lesbian women, um, they'll say that they thought they were boys when they were younger. Oh. And if you talk to gay men, they'll say, well, I actually thought I should have been a girl because I liked girl stuff. Yeah. And so they, you know, it crosses over, and now we're telling kids who like the opposite sex toys that they must be trans. No, they're not. They're just girls that like rough and tumble stuff. Um, well, and that we, was the conclusion I came to in writing the tomboy book was that that like whatever's wrong with the word, you know, it it provided what I called a protective bubble of ambiguity because you could be that way without people deciding your future based on it. And it got a lot harder, you know, at, at puberty and the expectations changed. But at least there in in that case, naming it did the opposite of what naming things today does, which is it allowed these kids to be left alone. And now when you name something, it uh, it causes a cascade of interventions instead of, ah, it's one of those. And I always think about you know, what I've learned from Paul Vasey about what some people are calling third genders in other cultures, which tend to be feminine gay men and, and masculine gay women, and that the act of naming it is, then that's it. Oh, it's uh, one of those Fafa Fine. Good. The end. <laughs> you know, and it's not about culture wars and bathrooms, and it's not about medications, although I'm sure that will be an option. Someday we'll export it to these other country but you know if if naming something brings relief and then you can and then you can move on that's fine but now we're naming these things and then and then suddenly it's it's oh if you are if you've named yourself as part of this lgbtq and i'm not going to add i because that's going to be that's a medical condition that you'll deal with separately but you know then suddenly you're vulnerable suddenly you're at risk of suicide Suddenly, everyone has to bow down to you. And I just, like, I don't want that message for my children at all. But I also think they are, I mean, some of, for some of them, it's nothing. Like, I asked my daughter, my who just finished eighth grade, how many kids in your class are gay? And she was like, oh, most of them. And I asked about one, like, what about this guy, G? Um, like, is he dating anyone? And, he, and she said, yeah, oh, he's dating you know, my friend Candace. And I was like, well, that wouldn't be gay, you know? That's not... I know. I mean, we could talk about oh, that for, for, a really, for a really long time because it's become, you know, the cool Vogue thing for the weird kids, if that makes any sense, you know? Yeah. Uh, you you uh, If you're not the Lululemon kid, then you have to be... Uh, I call them... 
well, my daughter calls them copy and paste kids, right? You've got the copy and paste sporty kids, Lululemon, you know, half shirts, they're all wearing the same outfits. And then you yeah. have the copy and paste kids of, of the kind of fringe kids, which is still their copy and paste. They're all, they're all saying they're gay. They're all saying they're trans. They're all wearing the same skater pants. And, um, and, and that would be, none of that would, it would all be harmless. It would all be harmless. And nobody would bat an eye, you know, if, if my daughter wanted to be called the male name, if it, if it didn't line up with the fact that is, she's going to be pushed to medicalize. If it didn't line up with the fact that she's going to be told that she can actually change genders or sex, it would be a nothing. Who cares? And if but, it didn't lead to CPS showing up at your house, right. and if it didn't lead to the laws changing in in ways that are very dangerous to families and to children, because there is no research that says, you know, there's there is some research that says children do better with support. Support is not affirmation, A, and, and B, it doesn't say, oh, if you're not giving the kids exactly what they want, they'll do better in foster care. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, we have to wrap up, but to bring it back to why I wanted to talk to you, like, yes, that'd be fine. In fact, I interviewed a sister who was like, I was goth, I was this, I was that, and then I was trans, and every phase before was fine, and then this phase was associated with my parents are horrible, I should reject them, I should try to get testosterone. So here we are in this situation where what might be just a phase for kids is now not only is connected to the state, it's connected to this apparatus. It's connected to an, this ideology that is making these in, these once outlandish accusations by the right wing ring true. So 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 now what? Well, you're right. Now what? Um, well, it's forced medicalization. That's where we're going. We're forced medicalization. Where we, you know, you, I just wanted to tell you about a couple more bills in California. Okay. We are protecting the doctors here. Yes, that's now we're protecting the doctors. Now we are passing bills that say that uh, medical malpractice insurance carriers cannot raise rates for doctors who do gender affirmative care. And so what why would a doctor start stop doing this if they're making money off of this? Because even if they get sued, their rates don't go up and their insurance will cover it. Why stop it? Why stop harming these kids? That's what our state is doing. It, everything is pushing towards Let's change all the girls into boys and let's change all the boys into girls. Let's medicalize every kid that we can possibly do. And, and then we'll safeguard the doctors. And in the end, in the end, when this all blows up, because it's going to blow up and it's going to blow up. Yeah, I mean, the, the parents are, are angry here in California. We've got the Muslims fighting. We've got the Hispanics are coming. The Chinese are, are getting, are getting mad. Like all the, the typical Democrats who, who, they need their votes. They've had enough. They are now waking up. But what's going to happen is the doctors are going to say, well, you made us do it. You made us do gender affirmative care. And the and the lawmakers are going to say, well, you told us it was in the best interest of the children. You told us it was life saving. Yeah, they're all going to they're going to point at each other and nobody's going to be responsible for this except the parents. You didn't do enough. But the bills are. I mean, there's probably 20 
that are forced medicalization, forced sterilization, forced mutilation of children. Why are they doing this? But for, I'm I'm a, I'm a little like you know <laughs> worried about that rhetoric. I mean, how is it forced? I mean, and I I don't use the word mutilation mostly because I have lots of friends who had breast cancer and didn't get reconstructive surgery, but I, I just, but I get what you mean, but I, how is it forced? Well, and it's mutilation when you remove healthy body parts. That yeah, is mutilation. Very General different. mutilation yeah. is removing part of the clitoris. Right. Um, and call it that when, when it happens in African countries, but when we do it here, we call it gender, gender affirmative care. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that that's confusing to me. Yeah. Um, so I yeah. do use that word and I know people don't like that word, but it is when you take a healthy 13 year old's breath and you remove them, that's mutilation. Yeah. Um, so I'm sorry. I went on a tangent. My rhetoric. The, why, my question why, is, how is it forced? Yeah. Why is it forced? Because how, yeah. What this bill 957 says for you to keep custody of your child. For the health, welfare, and safety of that child, you must affirm. What does affirm mean? Does it mean a haircut? Does it mean buying boxers? Or does it mean cutting off your child's breasts? How far do you have to take it to be affirming? What if, what if you're the parent who says, okay, I'll do the name and pronoun thing? But I'm not going to remove the gonads of my son. And dad says, well, I'll remove the gonads of my son. Who is the child? And is, what, what is affirmation? How far does it go? And if you don't affirm your child, CPS can come. Like with Abigail Sh Martinez. CPS came and they took her child and they pumped her with testosterone. That's forced transitioning that child. The mother wouldn't sign those papers. The judge did. So, yeah, it's forced. I know I sound hyperbolic, but it's forced. That's where we're moving. They did it in, in Oregon. Kids age 15 can disappear as long as it's for gender affirmative care. So what does a parent do? I want to keep my child. So I'm going to say okay just so that my child is still in my house so I still have a relationship with my child. I It's a Sophie's choice. Do I harm them with gender hormones or do I lose them forever? I'm forced to make that decision. Yeah. I see. I see what you mean. Is this is this something that is going to, well, first of all, it's in, these laws are passing. <laughs> what do, what do we do? And is it about parents? I mean, we, we're seeing the slow, we're seeing a trickle of, of um, Democrats and state legislators, legislatures, um, Mostly in mostly in red states where, you know, it's very different to be a Democrat in a red state, just like you were saying, it's different to be a Republican in a blue state. Um, they're probably similar 
centrist, but we're, we're seeing a few Democrats waking up or, or taking a chance, but they get primaried or punished in some way. Um, so how, what do we do now that these are enshrined in law? These, well, we, we are seeing the pushback in California. We have to kill it here in California. We, we grew it. We have to pull it out by the roots. It has to die here. Otherwise, it keeps regrowing elsewhere in the country. Um, for the first time, this is two days ago, we had a hearing on a, on, on a bill that Democrats actually asked questions. That was the first that they even stepped out of their safety bubble. And I was amazed, too, at the lack of education that these legislators have. When I told one of them that my daughter desisted, that she changed her mind, it, you know, of course she didn't change her mind. I helped change her mind. Um, but she said, can that happen? Can you do that? Like the desistance doesn't occur. They don't know half this stuff. Yesterday, one of uh, a, a parent read from the book, um, this book is gay. Those lawmakers sat there gobsmacked, except for, of course, the few that already know what that book contains. They, they were gobsmacked at what that book contained. Most of us in this movement, we know what that book says and that it's, you know, pushing, pushing kids to meet strangers online to go and have sex with them. Uh, they don't know. And so we are working tirelessly to educate them. And I think we are going to start to see a shift. It's going to be slow. We will see a shift. And here's another thing. The, like I said, the Hispanic community, the Indian community, the Chinese, um, they're done. The Muslims, they are awake. They are Democrats. They are going to vote these people out. They are rising up. They will vote Republican. I, I really wish, I mean, I have my, my sign in my head, Democrats for DeSantis. <laughs> um, but DeSantis would win. Uh, Democrats will vote for him. I don't know. <laughs> he doesn't seem. I mean, of course, I'm reading the New York Times, so it can't be trusted. No, I believe. But, I mean, Democrats have a harder time swallowing the Trump pill. But mark my words, Lisa, you'll see me in an ad because I'm whoever the Republican nominee is. I told them I'll do an ad for you as a Democrat. But Why about we wish for centrist Democrats? I mean, I don't. I don't want that six-week abortion bill. I don't. I don't want censorship laws. I don't want I don't want this stuff to even be happening at the legislature. But I understand that I'm unrealistic and that it takes a long time to build parallel institutions and that. But I just I mean, let's we have to wrap up. So so I don't want to end on Democrats for DeSantis, but but but. Because be something you're so optimistic, I'm Lisa. No, I'm not, you're so I'm optimistic. Not, people that, I'm like people who know me think I'm the most negative person in the world. But it's not that I'm optimistic. It's that my politics haven't changed. I got enough information to object 
to this, but I have the same politics and the Democrats have changed. And I, I, um, I, I'm resisting being a single issue voter. And I, what, what is so difficult is how liberals are hamstrung because they can't speak up because they fear losing their kids because of everything we just talked about. But what if everybody who's listening to this, every, everybody who reads the, you know, listens to gender wider lens and reads reality's last stand and everybody in, in this world with us who is a liberal or a former Democrat <laughs> reaches out to their politicians and says, I need you to know that, that I can't support you if you support this or, or do we have any other strategies besides vote Republican? That's your optimism, Lisa. Look, I'm a Democrat of 37 years. That's not a made-up thing. I voted for same-sex marriage. The only time I voted for Republicans was 2022. I vote. My conscience made me a one-issue person because I can't support anybody who's okay with hurting children. I can't support a party. That is okay with hurting children. When when President Biden said you must affirm your kids, that was game over for me. That was the end of the line for me. Now, I, I still say I'm a Democrat because I'm, like you, a little bit hopeful that people... But, you know, the Democrat, I, I walk those halls. I go into my local uh, senator and assembly person's office. I call my U.S. senator. They will not talk to me. They will not receive me. The liberal newspapers will not print my name. Aaron Friday, Aaron Friday, print my name. Not because I want fame, but because I want people to know Democrats are against this and you can get your kid out of this. They won't put my name. I'm organizer. I'm opposer. I don't have a name. So fuck the New York Times. Fuck them. I mean, they used and abused me, uh, wanted to talk to parents and then wrote crap. Yeah. I mean, if I had an ability to, to sue them, I would because they could end this. They are as guilty as guilty can be. They're as guilty as the the butcher who is cutting off the young girl's breasts, and they know it. They can end it tomorrow if they would write honestly, but they won't. And they'll give us a bone here and there. But no, it's a lost cause. It's a lost cause. I won't even talk to them. The, the, the Associated Press, I know we need to end, but the Associated Press called to interview Abigail Martinez after she gave heartfelt testimony about gender ideology killing her child. And those fuckers called her daughter a him in the interview. So I shut the interview down. But that's, that's how cold they are and how tethered they are to this ideology. That they're talking to a mother whose child killed herself and they called 
her a him. And when I said, excuse me, did you just call her daughter a him? Well, I can't ask Yaley because Yaley is dead. Mm. That's despicable. So I don't hold the same. I love your writing, Lisa. I love how you, I think you are optimistic that the Democrats are going to wake up and suddenly come in on their white horse and be like, oh, sorry, we made all these mistakes. No, they need to be, they need to be punched down a bit. They need to lose their seats. They need to lose money. They need to be sued. They need to be shamed. They're not going to suddenly wake up and say, oopsie, so sorry. You know, I don't wish this gender crap on anybody, but there's a couple of Democrats. I'm like, maybe the gender fairy should visit you. And you should know what it feels like when your child says to you that they want to cut off their healthy body parts. And they call you by your first name because they've been told that you're a bigot and hateful. Maybe they should feel it first. Because I don't hold out hope for them coming to the table. So, yeah, I'm going to vote a Republican and Republican until they stop this crap. And everyone should. Send a message. And I don't care. Like, I'm pro-choice. Um. But that doesn't matter as much to me as it does for a living child being told that they were born in the wrong body and that they should remove body parts. So, yeah, I'm a, I am don't move on this one. It makes me think um, there needs to be a kind of a single-issue vo- single voter coalition that just says, change your, change your vote or we're done with you. But I guess I I don't I'm mind. I'm a woman. I don't You're mind a woman. This. You're a woman. How can you vote for for a Democrat? You're a woman. You're not a whole, a, a, an extra whole, or a non-man. A uterus haver. Oh, yeah, a non-man. Yeah, there were non-men. There are I mean, men and there are non-men. Um, yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, I haven't made any. Uh, personally, I haven't made any decisions, but. And I'm fine with Democrats getting their asses handed to them in in many ways. But I don't want liberalism replaced with conservatism. I want it replaced with heterodoxy. And I want and I don't know how that can happen. Um, I have no idea what the path to that is. It's. It is a it is a really difficult, steep, long climb. But I think that the promise of the coalition of um, the the resistance to gender identity ideology and how it's worked its way into institutions, I think that. I think the promise of it is in that it has brought a lot of different people together and that I have a much more politically diverse um, friend and contact group and have had my views challenged in, in ways I never had before when I lived only in my own echo chamber. And 
this is, I hope that this is something that someday when, when things are better, that we take that part with us that there is beauty in communing with people you have disagreements with to try to do what's right. And that, if I have any optimism, it's it's because of that. And it, I have met amazing, smart people like you who've educated me. And I am trying to educate other people with what you know. So thanks for doing this. Um, <laughs> your optimism. No, I agree with you. I, I I agree with you. I think this will take down the silos, the team A and team B. That's how we got here. Uh, I believed everything the New York Times told me, NPR told me, because that's what I was told to believe. So I was just, I was a sheep. I didn't even realize I was a sheep. Here I thought I was so intelligent and, you know, me too. Okay. I was a sheep writing some of that stuff. <laughs> um, Aaron, where can people find you or if they, they want to know more, what, what should they do? Uh, well, I'm a co-lead of Our Duty. It's ourduty.group. It's an international group of nonpartisan, non-religious parents. We are, um, we are an advocacy group primarily in the U.S., but we do offer support. Uh, people can, you know, uh, offer some volunteer hours. We always are looking for people to help. Um, and parents who are struggling, they can also sign up for the contact sheet, and then we will place you with a support group. We also help facilitate finding attorneys for people who need the legal help. Um, finding advice and also finding um, non-affirming doctors. Um, so we're kind of a, you know, a middleman for getting people the information that they need. So that's a, that's a good place to start. Uh, we also have one page fact sheets that are really easy to understand why this is different than being gay, why transition, you know, transgenderism is not the new gay. Um, you know, what are the side effects, you know, the real basics. Okay, great. Well, Aaron Friday, thank you so much for doing this with me, and I hope people are.